0: And I would tell you to think bigger, set a bigger goal. And I'll guarantee you, you can go find somebody in your network. You are more, you are less than one degree of separation of somebody who's done that big goal that you're thinking of and go ask them what they did to do it.
1: Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. To learn more, visit baileymiles.com and be sure to rate, review, and follow us on all social media platforms. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. John Ramstead is the CEO of Beyond Influence and former Navy F-14 Tomcat fighter jet pilot. He is also the president of Alpha Principle and host of the Eternal Leadership podcast. John began his career as an active-duty Navy F-14 combat pilot, serving in Operation Desert Storm during the first Gulf War. He was invited to join the acclaimed Top Gun School in 1994, and then served in the Navy Reserves for eight years, attaining the rank of Lieutenant Commander. After the Navy, John became an entrepreneur and was part of founding and building three technology companies before making the move to Wall Street in 2004. John served as a trusted advisor to his investment and financial planning clients while at Bernstein and Financial Designs. He specialized in multi-generational legacy planning, impact investing for philanthropy, and creating long-term security for his clients. After his decade in the investment and financial planning industry, John became a world-class coach to senior executives of Fortune 100 companies as well as the U.S. Department of Defense. John helped guide their vision, communication, and collaboration. As a coach, John's purpose is to connect individuals, ...families and organizations to their purpose and guide them into their full potential by living a life that outlives their lives. He is the best-selling author of On Purpose, With Purpose, Discovering How to Live Your Best Life. John's podcast, Eternal Leadership, was named by Inc. Magazine in the top 20 podcast leaders you need to listen to. On the show, John shares his lessons learned from growing up, becoming a fighter pilot, getting accepted to Top Gun, facing adversity overcoming a near-death horseback riding incident that left him in the hospital for nearly two years, leadership lessons, gratefulness, faith, what matters most, and much more. For more on John, check out beyondinfluence.com as well as the link to his book in the show notes. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. Today I have a special guest, John Remstead with me. John, thank you so much for being here. Bailey, great to be here, brother. Yeah, well if you wouldn't mind, maybe give our listeners context into your story and your background and what life was like maybe growing up for you
0: well i grew up in a you know suburban minnesota and uh uh my brother was a uh a crazy man got into drugs he was seven years older than me so home life was constant chaos and uh but my brother kind of got started on that path in the public high school so my parents decided, well, we're gonna put John in uh in an all-boys Catholic military <laughs> high school. Now, for me at the time, that was proof they didn't love me, Bailey. I'm just telling you, that's yeah. how I didn't I did not like that place at all. It was I was not a fan. I see in hindsight how it was the perfect actually the the right place for me. But I was always kind of the awkward, chubby kid in orchestra. I was uh going into my junior year, I think I was about five foot six. Um I'm now six foot two, uh, yeah. you know, 225. So I had this huge growth spurt, like junior, senior year, and even freshman in um, high school. I actually came back after my senior year or freshman year in high college and saw some high school friends are like, uh, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, it's John. Yeah. So it was interesting. Like I was, you know, kind of the. but in that, I think what, it, what God developed for me was this heart uh, – to just be kind, to, you know, to see the best in people, like, uh, there was a lot I had to work through, but it shaped uh, a personality that uh, I think has really served me well, because it was, it, you know, it's interesting, you look at some of this adversity you go through, especially when you're younger, mm-hmm. and you can, you can, uh it's pretty easy, and I did this, to almost have like this victim mentality, right, like, oh, if only, or man, this, this was hard, or, But I also then started to see, you know what, because of that, I have a heart for people. Because of that, I have a patience in situations that others don't, and I can be calm and and see things differently. Because of that, I've developed because relationships are so important to me. And so I actually now actually see how everything does work together for good. And I figure, okay, if I'm going to blame them, you know, certain people in my life when I was younger, I also need to thank them and give them credit or some things that are in me. And when I made that shift, I got to tell you, it was pretty liberating. This, this was uh, in my adult life when I really uh, understood that. But that's a little bit of kind of where I came from.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, you talk about that shift. Was that an easy shift mentally to look at that perspective in situations when things would happen? Or was it kind of a shift where it took some time to kind of reframe your thought process? Because it's a fantastic thought process to have but it's not an easy one to, to gain over time. I feel like,
0: well, I'd love to say, no, I figured out the secret and it was like throwing <laughs> a light switch, you know, but, but no, because you know what is. It, here's something I realized it's when you get the negative in your head from whatever's going on in your life, whether it's past or present or it's hard to get the negative out, but you know what, it's easy to put good in. So what you have to do is almost you have to overwhelm some of that bad thinking, those negative thoughts, those attitudes you have toward people in situations, and you have to find ways to over time replace them. almost like you know you take a hot cup of coffee and you pour in a little bit of you know ice water and it still is a hot cup of coffee. but you keep pouring and pouring and pouring, and eventually it's replaced. and it was more of a process like that if that makes sense.
1: yeah, absolutely. So you talked a little bit about that experience and you go to college and you become six to uh, where did you wind up going to college and maybe why? And then what did you decide? Were you always knowing you wanted to be a, a fighter pilot or what? How did that kind of evolve?
0: Well, my dad was a, a combat air crewman in World War II. He enlisted the day he turned 17 because he wanted to fight. Um, I knew I wanted to be an engineer. I was at a. Uh, um, it was actually a, a, a mentor of mine when I was in high school youth group. He was an electrical engineer, and it just sounded fascinating. So I applied to engineering schools, but I didn't apply to a school within a thousand miles of my home because I just wanted to get away. Mm. So I ended up going to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, RPI in upstate New York, and got an electrical engineering degree. And I was there also on a Navy ROT scholarship, ROTC. And um, honestly, my, my fascination, though, uh, on the engineering side was submarines and I actually uh, was going that direction and then um I did a cruise in submarine so I know exactly what to expect and it was intellectually interesting but then the movie Top Guns comes out when I'm in my sophomore year or my junior year of college and I'm watching this on the screen I'm like oh my word because I was thinking about maybe I'd be a pilot now I gotta tell you Bailey I walked out of that movie though I was there with my girlfriend and I think I had a different reaction than everybody else walking out because what I saw on the screen, who I was, how I saw myself growing up, and I said I could never do that. Hmm. And so I went back to college, and I put in my selection seat, sheet, and I didn't even put aviation down. I literally had this dream that I was uh, afraid to kind of – I was afraid of heights as a kid. I mean, I was not, if I told my friends I was wanted to go be a fighter pilot, they would have all la- laughed at me. I'm, I'm just – right – uh-huh. And so I I didn't want to tell anybody. I said, No, I'm going to go sub still. And I went back and I was sitting there with my dad and I and uh he said, Well, what are you gonna do? I said, Go submarines. He goes, Really? Well, I know you're fascinated with submarines, man, but I always thought you wanted you have, you always talked to me younger about being a, a pilot. And I'm like, Yeah, I didn't, you know, I don't think I could do it. And he's like, John. I think you should bet on yourself. I don't think you should give up on a, on a lifelong dream or a goal because you're afraid of failing or afraid of being embarrassed or afraid of what other people think. He goes, if you do it and it doesn't work out, trust me, there's always going to be a plan. And I got to tell you just one person, just, you know, see my dad. And he encouraged me. So I went back to my class officer and said, I want to go aviation. He goes, yeah, sorry, dude, you missed all the deadlines. It's not even an option. And he goes, but if we hand walk this all the way through and you're willing to do all this extra work and um you could probably get an application in. But right now there's so much interest. It's that ship is probably sailed. Well, I did all the work and I actually ended up getting orders to go to flight school. Mm. I, I got to tell you, man, I was on cloud nine. And then I'm sitting there with our, our, that same class officer. He pulled aside all the guys who got aviation goes, hey, I just want to let you know. Because of all the interest of this movie, um, only one in about every 10,000 people that apply for flight school are going to end up in the cockpit of a fighter. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was true or not, but I was like immediately like, um, I just set myself up to fail. And I'm tethering about all this again and kind of in my head. And I was once again talking to my dad. And he gave me literally, Bailey, some of the best advice I've ever had in my life. He said, John, I want to share something with you. When you get down to Pensacola, Florida, and that's where my dad did his training to be an, uh, a, a tail gunner back in World War II, which is pretty cool. Um, and when my dad would come down to visit me, we visited all the places where he did some of his training. And
1: that's awesome.
0: I, he said, listen, there's going to be somebody down there that everybody's talking about. Another student, they're going to be ahead of you, so they're not competing with you for a spot, and they're going to be like the ace of the base, and they're doing something different. And He goes... I'd be surprised if they're not somebody like that. So go find them and ask them what they're doing and see if they'll mentor you. I mean, think about what, I mean, sounded so simple, right? Well, I got down to Pensacola and everybody was talking about this one guy. His name was John. And like nobody had ever seen anybody excel in flight training, have the kind of grades that he did. He was like, he walked on water. And so I approached him once in the officer's club and I'm like, hey, you know, can I buy you a beer and love to hear about what you're doing. And he goes, man, nobody's ever asked. I was like, nobody's ever asked me. I'm like, well, and so he shared with me everything that he was doing to train, to prepare mentally, physically, um, to get ready for a flight. It was totally to me counterintuitive. I would have not done anything that he was doing on my own, right? Like instead of going out to all the bars in Pensacola on Friday night, he wouldn't go out on a Friday night until he actually got everything that he needed to get done like on a Friday And in that, I just started doing the work that he was doing. And I ended up um, graduating number one in my class, right? And it was because, so think about it. Here's what my dad, here's how I have looked at it now, right? Go find, you know, set a big goal, right? Set a big goal, right? You have a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs listening here. And I would tell you to think bigger, set a bigger goal. And I'll guarantee you, you can go find somebody in your network. You are more, you are less than one degree of separation of somebody who's done that big goal that you're thinking of. And go ask them what they did to do it. And what I found is, you know what, there's no such thing as a self-made person. Everybody had help, period. And people love to help other people, especially if you're willing to put in the work. So go look at what they did and then count the cost. Say, am I willing to do what they did to get that result? Am I willing, you know, I might have to be out of balance. I might have to maybe this person worked 80 hours a week to build this company and it was hard on their family. Well, dude, you're not going to get those results if you're going to follow. So think about it, right? I'm I, I I thought it was kind of my job to almost be a fruit inspector, if that makes sense. Hmm. <laughs> right? I didn't want to get advice from just somebody who was super wealthy. I met a guy who was a hundred millionaire, I think, early after I got out of the Navy. But you know what? He was on his third wife and didn't talk to any of his kids, but he wanted me to work for him and he wanted to mentor me. And I realized, you know what? If I work for this guy, I'm going to be very successful financially, but everything else that's important to me is probably going to get destroyed. And I actually turned him down for working with him and he couldn't believe it. Hmm. But so anyway, count the cost and then make a commitment and then do whatever it takes and don't give up. And if you do that, I'll, I'll guarantee you, that you're gonna get results that are gonna feel, that are gonna move you toward what's important to you. And especially, you, you know, you do that in prayer and you start saying, who's that perfect mentor? Somebody that can help me do this. And so I have repeated that not only from flight school, but when I got out, when I got into business, when I first became an entrepreneur, I mean, all the way through after my accident, I'm like, okay, like, how do I even, I actually found two people that had injuries as severe as mine that had built businesses. Really? Um, God opened some doors and I said, how'd you do it? I mean, I literally can work five hours a week. How do you build a company? Well, here's what I did. Small steps, just small steps, just focus on one thing every day. That's it. But every day though, you got to do something, but anyway, every situation. Uh, but, so I graduated number one and then went to jet training and graduated, uh, 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 number one in jet training using all of John's, uh, advice and then i was able to choose uh the f-14 tomcat and i flew the f-14 uh then i got to do a couple combat tours in iraq and uh and then at the end of that um got orders to go to top gun which was a i don't even remember that day because when i got called <laughs> into the commanding officers stateroom which is never a good thing right they're like you know hey rammer you gotta go see the skipper i'm like Oh no! What did I do wrong? Did I do? Did I do? I'm, like I'm going through this whole mental checklist. I'm creating the <laughs> spin before I'm even in the room because I don't even because you just you don't get called into the stateroom very often. And it was the meeting to say, "Hey, you're going to be the pilot going no, to Top Gun." Hmm. And man, I floated out of there. I mean, this has been this has been a dream of mine since when I saw the movie when I realized i was going to go down this path, and now I get to go there. And the, uh, then things changed pretty quickly, but. That was, yeah. that was, that was an amazing time in my life, flying off a carrier and being part of a squadron. Yeah. Well,
1: well absolutely. And, and just what you shared right there, there's so many great bits of wisdom to be able to go through those experiences. And even just from your dad early on, being able to instill that confidence. And we were talking a little bit before about confidence and just the confidence to go out there and put yourself out there and, and not be afraid of being embarrassed or failure but to just continually know where you're going, why you're going. And then I love the perspective that you have, obviously finding a mentor, someone that's above you and being willing to ask. Cause like you said, the guy that you asked had never been asked by anybody except for you. And also counting the costs. That's probably one of the biggest things. Yeah. If you can try to put yourself in that position, mentally, emotionally, try to put yourself in that position and count the costs that can save you a lot of time and a lot of uh, heartache down the road, if you can do that now. So, so many great perspectives and you touched on one in 10,000 and then being able to be a fighter pilot, fighter jet pilot, and then being able to graduate top in your class and in fire school to take the, the top uh, Tomcat F-14 Tomcat. What was it like for you maybe diving in real quickly to that experience? Uh, you know, landing on an aircraft carrier, going through missions, like these are life and death situations. Sometimes there's a lot of pressure that's built up. There's a lot of work and preparation that goes into just, everyday flights, what was it like for you to maybe gain confidence in your ability, but also in your preparation and also the camaraderie with the people around you maybe?
0: Well, I got to well, the flying, once you kind of learned uh, the basics of flying, you know, taking off landing, which took me a while to kind of master, <sighs> but then you're doing, you know, you know, everything's a mission like formation, formation acrobatics, low level navigation, like you saw in Top Gun Maverick. Low level tactics, bombing, strafing, uh, air combat maneuvering and everything builds on each other, right? So got to, you're got you constantly being challenged. You're constantly having to learn. You're constantly being stretched. I mean, there's no, you can't just settle for in that environment, status quo doesn't work. And for me to constantly be pushed and you know what? There's just a, a culture of excellence, right? You're expected to show up prepared do 100%, you know, you, you, you don't get to phone it in in that environment. And for me, uh, that was really important to kind of learn some of those habits. When I was younger, I was not very organized or very disciplined. And um, and I got to tell you, just flying, you know, when I, you know, went from flying, I remember the first time I took off in a jet, it was a trainer jet. Mm-hmm. And I thought the the prop plane I've been flying before actually accelerated faster. I'm like, well, okay, that was, you know, that wasn't, you know, uh, didn't light my hair on fire. The jet was so much more capable. But I'll never forget, the first time you take off in an F-14, you don't get to use the afterburners. You do a normal takeoff. And it's just like, a, you know, an airliner taking off, right? You're just rumbling down, the, you know, and it's like the other jets I'd flown. I'm like, okay. My second flight, though, we get to do a full afterburner takeoff. And I'm telling you, I don't know if anybody out there has a Tesla, but You know, uh, the Tesla performance, it goes zero to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Imagine that going zero to 150 miles an hour in a few seconds and then just taking off and being able to go straight up in the air. And you're realizing you're controlling this machine that's spitting out 30, 40,000 pounds of thrust. And to be able to master that airplane, um, both landing on the boat, aerial refueling, combat, um, and just the people you're doing it with—so uh, many stories. We could probably sit here for a couple hours yeah. and tell flying stories. <laughs> but it, yeah. it, there are things that I still think about when I'm just want to go to a good place in my head, right? Like, okay, I remember when we took off and we were doing that low level. there was a one, well, one story. There's we called it Death Star Canyon. It was in Oman. It was just like on the, you know, the original uh, Star Wars. Uh-huh. You know, when they're flying in to drop the and to blow up the Death Star. And it was this canyon that was like a a mile wide in the in the straight up cliff walls, 400 feet, and it wound around. So we'd fly through it at about 100 feet and about 500 miles an hour in formation, <laughs> just like you saw in Top Gun Maverick. We were doing that. And those, man, when you're just like in the flow and you're in the zone and you don't even know you have the aircraft, it's almost like uh, the aircraft becomes part of you, hmm. right? And it's it's moving your body versus you flying an aircraft, if that makes sense. And yeah. And I just remember just some of those moments are just incredible.
1: Yeah. And some really scary moments
0: landing on the aircraft carrier at night when i when I was, you know, not at my best.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, how important is preparation maybe involved in the, you know, landing on an aircraft carrier at night and maybe some storms or whatever's going on. There's a lot of tension building up and you have to have confidence in yourself and your preparation, your abilities to do that effectively, I would assume.
0: Well, and you got to completely trust your crew and those around you. Because when you're landing on the boat at night, there's there's probably 100 people involved, right? You got the landing signal officer who's, you know, le- you know, standing on the back of the boat, even at night. You got air traffic control, our version of it. You got the guy in your back seat, right? Um, and then you got to fly the airplane, but also take in the inputs. And if somebody's telling you to add a little bit of power, or you're not lined up just right, and they're giving you an input, you can't just say I think you're wrong, right? You got to respond to that because you got to trust them, and it's in that. You, and you got to trust all the folks on the uh, on the on the ground crew and on the deck, and um, and it, it's pretty amazing place that to really, I mean, in my back seat, think about it. Every landing, he's, he's putting his life in my hands. Literally, there's no flight controls in the backseat. So, you know, that also the trust that other people have in you. And I think that that builds an elite team, Mm -hmm. that level of trust.
1: Absolutely. We talk about trust and having an elite team and a culture of excellence. You obviously get to go and are admitted to Top Gun, but things take a little twist. And if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing that story, because I know there was a lot of preparation, hard work, heartache, I'm sure of, of being able to go and do that and then maybe allude to what happened
0: yeah that was that was that was painful because uh so this is 1995 and uh so i get the orders to go to top on the next weekend bayland playing softball with a squadron team and i hear look out and i turned and i got drilled with a line drive right in my right eye and i had a blowout fracture of my right eye and i had some nerve damage and they met i was um uh, went to the naval hospital and they did everything they possibly could And they said, if you were anybody else in the Navy, you'd be able to go back to your job, but you can't, you have a little bit of double vision, and we can't put you back in the cockpit. And and at the time, the president was drawing down the armed forces in 95, and since I didn't have my medical, I got processed out. And so I was right at the peak of my career, right about to have my dream orders. I had just applied to go to test pilot school. I wanted to possibly go NASA, be astronaut, and then it was gone. And I got to tell you when your entire identity is what you do and who you are, right? I was a fighter pilot. I was a naval aviator. I was a navy officer, right? That was that defined me and I was proud of it. And it was gone. And when you put your faith and your trust and your sense of who you are in something that can be taken away, you are setting yourself up for pain and that's what it was. The next 2 years for me were brutal right i had to rebuild I, I mean i was an engineer who had used my engineering degree now in eight years i was a pilot who couldn't fly um if i i was used to a culture of just excellence just elite people i'd go i think in seven months uh, getting out of the navy i had five or six jobs people didn't have integrity they weren't people of their word they didn't do what they said they were going to do i just quit i'm like i'm not working with people like this i realized the civilian world was very disappointing from a cultural, I'm telling you. And, you know, my wife would come home from work and I'd be in, you know, my car would be in the driveway and she'd come in and be like, again? I'm like, yeah, I'll find And uh, through that, though, I, you know, I found a great mentor and he helped me reconnect to some things I was good at. So I actually got into a sales role. I love people. I was good with relationships and I became a um, top sales rep in the state of California for a company. But in that, though, he also, there was something special about this guy. And in that period of time, um, I kept asking him about it, and it was about his faith in Christ. And he led me and then also my wife to our personal faith. And so God used this horrible time in my life, I and mean, I was literally suicidal. I mean, that's how depressed I was. It was a dark time. And through that, though, all of a sudden, you know, like I have this new lease on life. So I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave San Diego where I was in Miramar. I'm going to move back to Minnesota where I grew up and start a company with a friend of mine. And that was kind of my, my trip into becoming an entrepreneur. Cause I realized, you know what? I have not found that kind of culture, that elite culture where we trust, we care for each other. We hold each other to high standards. Uh, so I said, I'm going to go create it by being an entrepreneur. And that started a whole new chapter of life for me.
1: Yeah. Well, as you touched on, you know, you work so hard and you put so much time in and your identity's tied up in that. And it's very easy to get our identities tied up into what we do or who we are based upon our performance or whatnot. But you had a mentor and a friend that led you to Christ and really reshaped the way you thought about things. And I love the term that you, you use, a, a lease on life. And then obviously you went and you were able to go start a business and create that environment that you wanted to have within a work environment. So... If you wouldn't mind, talk a little bit, you know, obviously you worked in corporate America and then you had another thing kind of happen to you that really kind of shifted and altered and and also another lease on life too.
0: Well, yeah, I want to share because I I know there's a lot of, you got a lot of, uh, you know, folks in business listening because you know what? I thought when I was a new Christian, now things would get easier. I really did. And uh, I started this company and we struggled. And me and my business partner, who's my good friend from high school, really struggled relationally. I'm like, man, and he's a believer. I'm like, this should not be so hard. And I'm like, come on, Lord. Like, I'm a believer now. This, Like, come on, show me how to make money, how to grow a business. And I started believing, Bailey, that, you know what? And this became my motto, and I was proud of it. You know what? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'll outwork anybody around me. See, now, that's not a guy that's partnering with the father and the work that he's doing. In business or in the world, he wants us to be successful. He wants us to grow companies, but he wants to do it in partnership with him. And if I sit down, and I go, okay, here's my plan and my metrics, and my milestones and my, you know, whatever they happen to be and my goals, and I'd be like, all right, Lord, here's my goals for the year. Please bless it. And then I would go put in the work. And at the end of the year, if it turned out well, I'd be like, you know, thank you, Lord, let's do it again. If it didn't, I'd be like, I need I need to work harder, and as, what I've realized as I've gotten older, as soon as I'm saying the word I, I am not in partnership with God, okay, and what happened was, over time, I started to then, as I had success, give myself the credit, so it's almost like, I think of that casting crown song, a slow fade, All Right, it went from this amazing experience, like my true love, like absolutely on fire, to, you know, uh, going to church on, you know, uh, Sunday, right? Everybody knew me as a Christian, but was I really in partnership with the Father and like doing kingdom work? I, I would say no. And I think that, and let's just kind of go back about uh 12 years, 11 years now. And I was at the top of my game professionally, right? I was running a, a, a company. Um I was making the most that I'd ever made, right? Nice house, nice cars. I was miserable. I describe it in my book, On Purpose, With Purpose, as this place of smoldering discontent. And I didn't know why. And you know what? I had created a a lifestyle for my wife. She was a stay-at-home mom with my kids. And I was resentful of her because she had got to – she was living her dream. Now, think about how bad of a place I was in that I worked hard so she could, you know, be a mom to our kids. And then I was resentful of that. So I'd come home grumpy. And negative, I created the negative environment. I had to look in the mirror and go, everything that's happening in my life, my marriage, how I'm feeling, is a consequence of decisions I have made. It is nobody else's fault. Now that was a huge wake-up call. But I now I hadn't had that realization yet. I just knew that I was miserable. So the only thing I did is do more. I started nonprofits. I joined nonprofits. I grew my company. I coached sports and I did more and more and more and more, and I just got more miserable. And then I got I got involved in um, politics here in Colorado, and I got invited to a nonprofit retreat um, up in Montana, uh, just a small group, like 14 people that were part of a ministry board. And we were going to go to the back of this uh, property. This is an, um, a horseback ride to go have lunch. And I was the first one saddled. And I'm on – first one, I'm sitting on my horse. I you know, grew up doing trail rides. I don't know about yourself, but, you know. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, the horse just plods along, but all of a sudden, yeah. my horse just bolts and he takes off. And I'm laying flat on my back and his rump is pounding me in my shoulder blades and I'm scared to death. I'm going to flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and get killed. And so I did the one thing I knew how to do at the time that my first reaction, and that's to squeeze with my legs as hard as I possibly could. Now, if anybody's a horse person out there, they're cringing because what I'm telling that horse to do is go faster. I had no, I never read the manual. I had no idea. And that guy found another gear. And I have never been on a horse that was at a full flat out run. Uh, but I finally got my weight up back in the saddle. And I'm looking ahead, about 80 yards in front of me is a steel corral fence. And so I tried to get him to turn. I tried to get him to stop. Everything I did, he just felt to me like he went even faster. I didn't know how he could. And we're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to this fence. And about 20 yards from the fence, I remember thinking very clearly. <laughs> this is not going to end well. That's the last thing I remember. Uh, everybody there who was there for the this nonprofit was watching this. Um, uh, they told me later, the horse went in the fence, and he bucked so hard he flipped over, slammed into the fence room first, and when he did that, he launched me Superman into a three-inch steel beam, and it hit me across my face, so it caved in the front left side of my skull. I broke every bone in my skull except my jaw and my cheekbone, I lost eight teeth, I broke my neck, completely shattered my right shoulder, and then the next bar down completely crushed the left side of my rib cage, and I had broken ribs that punctured my lung. Um, and I uh, just to let you know, too, just so you can put some things in context, I spent the next five, once they medevac me, I spent five weeks in the ICU, had two brain surgeries that had to take my skull off, And then I got transferred to a specialty hospital here in Denver that just does brain traumatic brain injury, severe brain injury. And I was there for 20 months. I learned how to walk and speak, think, drive, everything again. Um, But I woke up on the ground into more pain than I could ever describe. It was beyond my breaking point. I mean, I was was panicking, the pain, and I didn't know it, but I was kind of, yelling and writhing around and this you know this is not pretty so it was really hard everybody brushed over there right and um, all of a sudden one of the guys said later he goes John all of a sudden you just relax so completely it looked like you just sank into the ground I thought I just watched somebody die hmm. but it was in that moment laying there on this field in Montana that I was standing in God's presence Jesus was standing right next to me and I'm looking up at him And immediately what I felt, Bailey, is washing off of him. It was emanating. It was flowing. And it had a physical weight to it. It was rhythmic, like waves in an ocean washing over your body. Hmm. And it almost had a color to it. I almost want to say purple, but that's not right. Um, I can't put it into words. But it was unconditional love. And as soon as I felt it, and I feel it right now, My first thought was, and I didn't know how bad my body was crushed, I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. And what I knew in that moment, and that everything and anything I had ever done in the past was not even relevant to the love he has for me right now. And that's not unique to me. That's everybody listening. Mm -hmm. And he was already in relationship with me. And he wanted me to be in that relationship with him. And Bailey, I had never connected these dots before that the God of the universe that you read about and you're reading your Bible actually cares about me as a person. The way that you care about your wife, right? About the way you care about your best friend from growing up. When you say love your buddy, you know, love your bro, right? Like it's it's that kind of relationship and friendship. Man, uh when I immediately I actually understood the true nature of God. And that changed everything for me. Now, in that, as soon as I felt that wash over me, all the pain and panic and fear was completely gone. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't even a memory. And then he spoke, and it was a voice that came from everywhere and nowhere, and it was not to my ears. It was almost like a consciousness flowing right through my center. And the first thing God said was, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And I'll tell you, laying there on the ground, I had no idea that came from Romans 8. All right. Um, second thing he said was John, use my name. I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he said, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And as soon as he said that, I knew my left eye was permanently and completely blind. Um, and we found out it was six months until the doctors figured it out, but all the bones behind the eye socket had shattered and severed the optic nerve. So my left eye is still blind to this day. And then I woke up calmly. I looked up at the there was a paramedic over me, a woman, and I looked at her, and I said, hey, God's here. You don't have to worry. It's going to be okay. And she's like, yeah, um, okay. <laughs> so she'd been a paramedic up in Montana for 30 years, and she told me afterwards she did not even think I had a chance of surviving until Life Flight showed up, which took an hour. In mm-hmm. that entire hour, I, I wasn't in pain. I didn't complain. I repeated some questions. My friend that was there said it was like your brain was rebooting. And it was so normal when they first called my wife, they basically said, hey, John got thrown off a horse, so you need to come up from Denver up here to Montana so you can get him home. Once they life-flighted me to the hospital and they assessed me, the, they called my wife and said, um, you need to get up here and bring the kids because it doesn't look good. Basically, come up and say goodbye is what she was told. So she got up there in a few hours. And that was the start of literally the next two years in the hospital.
1: Yes, and I am not even really sure how to transition from there because the story is so incredible of going through that and, uh, you know, feeling and seeing God's presence and then having your body go from pain to no pain to having those words in the verses that you can remember vividly and intently. And then obviously being able, like you talked about the m girl or she was there and yeah, an hour to wait before the flight right? That's a long time for someone that's in distress. Yeah. And when you get there, okay, you talked about God is going to now use you for his glory. What did that look like? And because it took, it was a long road for you to recover from a situation like that. But what was it like for you in those moments of going through the, the challenge and the pain of, of working to get better and remembering back on what God had told you and obviously his goodness?
0: Well, it's an interesting question because it was way harder than I thought. When he said he'd heal me, Bailey, I honestly thought like, um, I was in the ICU room. I don't remember any of this. I had post-traumatic amnesia, but I'm I had my phone. I'm texting my business partner. I just started a new business. I'm like, hey, I'm here here in the hospital, but that thing in two weeks, don't cancel it. I'll be there.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: I didn't get back to work for three years. Hmm. Like, in my mind, this is going to be quick. I'm going to be healed. Well, right, God's timing is not my timing. And the pain that I was in, right, the pain came back, 25 surgeries, constant. I mean, my there was times when, you know, even in the hospital, they'd give me morphine, right, and they only give it to you every four hours. And it would wear off after about two and a half hours. And I'd have an hour and a half of just the only thing I could do Just look at the clock and say, Lord, help me get through the next five minutes. Right. And I also had a brain injury. Your front left load is all your memory and executive functions, social filters. Uh, I think the most polite way to say this is I became a complete jack wagon to my wife, to my kids, to everybody around me. And I didn't know it. There was no feedback loops. I was not myself. And so God keeps me here. But the healing process is so long and so painful. Um, What I realized about two years into this, that I was mad. I was angry at God that I had to go through this. He said he was going to heal me, but this is not what I thought it should be. But he also kept me here. I get to be a husband and a father and be in this world. So I didn't want to admit it. So that anger that I was feeling toward God was coming out in toward people in my life. And I just want to, you know, talk about, you know, um, what I realized in that, though, guess what? None of that is a surprise to him. And I was sitting there listening to a sermon by Richard Blackaby on strongholds. And one of them, he was talking about his anger. And I knew I had struggled with anger. And he goes, God already knows. Just tell him. And I said, God, why? Why? This hurts. This hurts my family emotionally. This I don't want to go through this. Now I've lost everything financially. I had literally Bailey one, you know, starting a new company. So I had $1.8 million in medical bills. I don't lean against me for that much money. Hmm. I had no income. My wife had to be a caregiver for three years. Everything was, I mean, literally zeroed out, right? And, you know, it's not like the, you know, what was my choice? I went to help a nonprofit and I just chose to get on a horse. Like, it's not like I made a bad business decision. Yeah. But as soon as I admitted that and realized, and then I started looking back, and I started actually saying, you know what? I see every step of the way how God's been faithful. Every step of the way, the doctors I've had, the care that I've had, the hundreds and hundreds of friends that came around our family, people I didn't even know, bringing us meals, offering to clean the house, offering to bring our kids to practices. And I started looking at not from a place of pity, but from a place of gratitude. And you know what? In that darkness, focusing on two things, being grateful for the small things, you can always find something in your life to be grateful for. You know what? Some days I was just grateful that I actually woke up today that I'm actually still alive. I couldn't think anything else, but I'm grateful that I'm at least here for another day. And then the other thing that God said to me is all things, all means all, it's all it means. Right? All things work together for good for those that love the Lord, for those that are called according to his purpose, not mine, his. Now, in that, you know what it gave me Bailey was hope. You know, here's what I realized was is that tomorrow has the chance of being better than today. And oftentimes it wasn't. But next week could be better than this week. And next month could definitely be better than this month. And oftentimes that was true. And I said, you know what? Next year can be better than this year. And if I just trust God in the present, that there's a plan through this, even though I can't understand it, I don't get it, but I am going to make a choice to trust him in rebuilding my life, the life that he's allowed me to keep for some reason. That's what allowed me to keep moving forward. And when I was in that hospital for 20 months and I saw other people who were not injured as bad as I was, but I watched them spiral down into that mentality Right And it scared me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it I said, I can't go there. I can't allow myself. I said, God, thank you for like give me a, 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 some hope. Um, and then so I just kept slowly moving forward and after two years, get out of the hospital and I still was struggling with the the brain injury. I only could work at that time, maybe oh six or eight hours in a week. I tried to go back to work at the company and um, could not do it. I'd literally show up and stare at a screen and maybe send out one email. I could not think. And we realized that's not going to work. And I'll never forget that. And this is where you just got to, you know, you were talking, we were talking about abiding a little bit in the pre-show. What what does it mean to abide? It's all over scripture. I encourage everybody out there to, um, I mean, think about how God speaks to us, right, through his word, through visions through dreams, through angels. I mean, look at all the examples in the scripture, through others, right? People giving us a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, speaking in the prophetic because God's given me a maybe a download for you, Bailey, or whatever it happens to be. And But in that, God wants to have a conversation. And so what I started doing was, instead of reading a, a passage, right? I, I love Jesus calling, right? So I leave Jesus calling and I always has the three scriptures, but instead of reading just that scripture, I go, I, so just, I'll say, which one of these is really resonating with me? And maybe it's something from Malachi chapter three. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not very super familiar with Malachi, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like one verse in there, but I'll go read the whole chapter. And I'll say, God, what are you trying to show me? I'll say, Lord, Holy spirit, just show me what's resonating in here. What do you, why do you bring me here? And maybe it's a whole different part of that that chapter. And then I'll start cross-referencing it with, a, I use something called the blue letter Bible. And I'll say, hmm. you know, what else does this reference? What other scriptures are connected to this? What is there's something in here that I believe, you know, Holy Spirit is trying to share with me. And sometimes I'll say, Oh, there's a word, right? Um, like, you know, maybe the word is, you know, courage, have courage, what does courage mean in the original Greek? Well, the Blue Letter Bible actually lets you go in and see what the definition of that actual word is and what's the context. And all of a sudden, it just the scripture in me just came alive. And every day I felt like I was having this deep, meaningful conversation with Holy Spirit and God by just spending that time with my phone turned off, with my computer turned off. Actually, I used the computer. The only thing I had up was the Blue Letter Bible because that's yeah. how I found the references. But... um but in that, here was my prayer, though uh, every day is Lord, just show me the one thing, the small step that I need to take today. Right? What's a small? Now from that small beginning, so think about this. So about two and a half years after the accident, I couldn't work, and I just felt led to start a coaching business. One thing I knew I could do is, right, my military experience, entrepreneur experience, I could help other leaders. And six months into that, Bailey, I had one client paying me 500 a month. I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? I, my wife is still my caregiver. She's just about now be able to go to work because I need less care. This is hard, right? We have no money. We're Everything that we're spending is coming out of savings and investments. Now this is three years into it. Um, uh, and God said, no, keep going. Trust me. Next small step is forward. I'm like, okay. Well, six months later, my coaching calendar was full, and I was making more money than month, if that makes sense. <laughs> now, let's fast forward to today. From that small beginning, probably voted least successful, to like, what are you thinking? <laughs> right? We got a team of nine coaches, two employees. We were named the preferred leadership trainer to the Air Force. We just got a huge contract with Space Force to do all their culture work. I've worked with Fortune 100 CEOs. I've been able to speak all over the world. God's used my testimony. Millions upon millions have heard the story that God gave me. It's his story. And I would tell you that in that, it was partnering with the Father in business, and it was glorious. And I realized my calling, my mission field was business. And it was hard for me sometimes to even find a pastor who understood business as mission and business as calling. So I had to, once again, seek out some pastors some people that are really mature in their faith to be my pastor, Is Right uh so that was that was an interesting observation but um there's more but i i don't know if you have any
1: yeah i keep just bloviating no well again there's so much in in what you shared and and thinking about those two things being grateful and all means all in all things but being all in and abiding and having a relationship with jesus and actually living that out so easy to get sucked into as you alluded to earlier just that i'm doing the work I'm making it happen. If I put in the work, I'm going to see the results. That is really tough to change our mindset from that to abiding and say, you know what, God, you're going to do the things I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to do whatever it is you ask me to do. Like you talked about, you started your coaching business and you had one client in the first six months or whatever that was. And then obviously it's blown up and you've impacted millions of lives that have heard your story. The impact, was there? It was always there. It was about you trusting God to let Him work through you, and I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges for all of us is to live that out daily and to look each day for that one thing. What's that one thing that you want me to trust you with? What's that one thing you want me to do? I mean, I'm I've you know I was taking notes. That's something that I'm going to be doing in the mornings too to look through Scripture and think about that and ask God and and pray and be diligent to walking with God.
0: Yeah. And one thing I think also to share too is, you know, my prayer life has definitely, I think, matured and changed. Right in the beginning, it was like, God, I need the, it was like almost like the spiritual ATM. Right. And I think we all start there. Like, right. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. I feel like that, you know, sometimes like even today, like, Lord, help me win the lottery. Uh-huh. Uh, of course, you got to buy a ticket first. But yeah. Yeah. Then it was like, God, what's your will for me? Like I was seeking, okay, what is my assignment? Bailey, I wanted to know my assignment. I'm kept here for a reason. What's the reason? I wanted to know it. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there with my coach, and I said to him, oh, this is probably three years after the accident, at a Starbucks, and I said, I got to figure out. See, I use the word I again, right? Whenever you say it, know that you're probably off base. I said, I got to figure out how I'm wired, and then I can figure out what I'm supposed to do next. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know what? Let's ask that question a little differently. He said, John, why don't you ask yourself, how did God wire you and ask him to show you what he sees when he looks at you? And what did he wire you for? And I got to tell you, like, it was profound. And then my shift, Bailey, became to then I realized, you know, what? when I look in the mirror, I have an identity. Now, that identity is what I believe to be true about me right i stuttered in 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 middle school and i had a teacher tell me i hope you don't ever pick a job where you have to be a speaker i got to tell you that that impacted me all the way into my adult life i believed it to be true that i'm not a good communicator right that i'm awkward that i'm not a good friend like all these things but then you have what god sees so you have this you almost have this created identity which is what satan has worked hard your whole life to create cuz all he has to do is get you to not believe what God sees and he can sideline you. That's what I realized. So I have this created identity and I have this true identity in Christ. And I started asking God to show me this and help me filter out and, and root out the lies and the stuff that I'd let in through my whole life of experiences and start closing that gap. And as I started closing that gap, the what to do next, which had always frustrated me it had like been something i would literally been seeking my whole life. Like, I want to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing became clear. And so I realized I've always done it backwards, Bailey. And maybe that'll help somebody out there listening. Is when you focus on seeing what God sees in you and how He uniquely wired you, your gifting, your core values, right? Um, your strengths, your skills, those things that you just do naturally. He's going to show you how to use them. And in that, then my prayer stopped me and God, show me your will for me. And it transitioned to, God, show me, reveal to me your will and what you're doing in the world. What are you doing in the life of Bailey? And how do I come alongside him and support him? And is their family and their business are growing? Lord, I'm about to go meet with this guy who's an investment banker. Show me what you're doing in this company and in this guy's life and his family. And if there's anything I can do to come alongside him to partner with you in the work that you're already doing out there. And as that became my prayer, God just started revealing what was going on. And in that, I was able to be of service to people because then it wasn't about me or what I could get out of it or how much I could get paid. And I got to tell you, all of that came, you know, um, as a side product of, I think, looking at things accurately.
1: Yeah. Well, I love the point that you talked about of understanding your makeup, how God made you uniquely because we're all different. We all have different gifts, talents, and abilities and understanding what that looks like and how to use those and asking God to reveal in the little moments. I mean, it's just like today, what are you doing? What are the things that are going on in your life? And each one of those things, ask God to reveal, hey, what are you doing in this? I think that's a great perspective. So real quickly, I I wish we had more time, but we need to wind down. I've got a little fire round for you. And then a final question, if you wouldn't mind, just answer in a sentence or whatever way you feel led. Okay. You can do anything if. I can do anything if I'm
0: following God's will.
1: Humility means.
0: Genuinely putting others before yourself.
1: Favorite vacation spot. Oh, anything with a beach. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Persistence means. Mm -hmm. Not, Not quitting. Favorite book beside your own.
0: Oh, and beside the Bible, that's an obvious one. Yeah. Um, the first book ever recommended to me when I got into business by my mentor at the time, and that was How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's a good and one. I honestly, I reread it every single year and it, um, fantastic. we should all read that one.
1: Yeah, it's a great book. It all comes down to. Mm
0: loving God and loving others. And you can't love others unless you know who you are, who you are and love yourself, by the
1: way. Awesome. We're done with the fire on the final question I have for you. This podcast is called building excellence. What does building excellence mean to you?
0: I think, you know what? We, when we put ourselves out in the world, especially as a kingdom leader, we're held to a higher standard, Bailey, no different than a rabbi or a priest. So what is excellence? I think is, you know what? We need to be radically authentic, radically vulnerable. If we are willing to literally live in a glass house because we have nothing to hide and we're doing everything for the we're doing things for the right reasons at the right time and the right way, I think that is excellence. And in that, you will inspire everybody around you to just raise their level of performance to, to the, you know to a plus one there are seven they'll go to an eight if they see you go from an eight to a nine yeah
1: awesome well John thank you so much for coming on the show for sharing your story and the amazing things that you've done and the principles that you've learned throughout all those stories and what you're doing today if people wanted to read your book on purpose with purpose listen to your podcast eternal leadership or learn more about the companies that you have and coaching and, and consulting what's the best way to do that
0: I just go to beyond influence, right? I think we should all live a legacy and, li- and we should lead beyond our own influence because we've had such a profound positive impact in others. And then my book, On Purpose, With Purpose, it's on Amazon. It's the best way to get it. So, And Bailey, man, just keep knocking them alive, brother. Love you're doing. So excited about this next season that you're in right now. So, <laughs> um, dude, uh, some great things, Eddie, awesome. for you.
1: Well, thanks for coming on the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the building excellence podcast if you found value today we would really appreciate it if you shared the show and left a rating and review. also be sure to follow us on all podcasts and social platforms as well as youtube where you can watch full video episodes to learn more about the podcast or any coaching or speaking check out baileymiles.com thanks again and now go work to build excellence in your life leadership and legacy